0: I'm Trent England for Save Our States, where we defend the Electoral College 24-7, but we also go out and talk to some really interesting people who are also engaged in defending the Constitution on our Six Questions podcast. Thanks for joining me today. It's a special treat. I get to talk with Jessica Anderson. She's the Executive Director of Heritage Action, a really major force, not just in Washington, D.C., but all around the country, defending constitutional government. Jessica, thanks for joining me.
1: Trent, thanks for having me. It's really fun to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to it's great to talk with you. And we've got six questions, so I'm going to dive right in. The first question: uh, We have seen that the left has a lot of bad ideas about elections. You know, HR1, S1, HR4. Um, obviously, these things have been stopped at this point in the Senate. But you know the media is out there telling people that these are voting rights bills, and obviously you're doing a lot of work to make sure that these things don't pass. What explain to people what the real threat is here? Because I I think I think sometimes it's hard to understand, especially if you just read the media narrative.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. If you if you just read what the New York Times puts out, or you only listen to you know the 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. hour on MSNBC. Uh, you'd get an entirely different picture than the truth. The reality is is that states are responsible for managing election day operations throughout the country. That's how the constitution is set up. It, it has empowered states to do that. That's why we have secretaries of state. That's why we have poll workers and poll watchers and election day operation officials scattered all across the country, they manage the elections. And so what the left has tried to do, I think, is to create a very false and dangerous narrative that we need a federal overtake of our elections because states are crazy. States are racist. States are trying to disenfranchise voters. States don't know what they're doing. So what the left has said is said, look, states are crazy, put them over here. Instead, let's have the federal government Bureaucrats in Washington, mind you, be in charge of all of the elections. That's ultimately what S one does. It puts politicians in charge of our election systems, and that is completely at odds with how the Constitution and how our republic is set up. And so, what's happened in the last twelve to eighteen months is you've seen kind of in in the the uh, the blender of Washington D.C. politics, you've seen all of these liberal politicians on the left dissolve what states have done to make it easier to vote and make it harder to cheat through these state bills like in Georgia and Florida and Texas and Arizona that have passed that actually safeguard our election and do the role that states should be doing in managing our elections. They've said that's bad and that's why we need this federal overtake. So if they were to ever be successful, this would be a complete overhaul of our election systems. Um, It would put very common sense state laws like voter ID um, like the ban on ballot harvesting, like the bans on private dollars from interfering in our elections, to even the role of a simple poll worker and poll watcher, all of that would be stripped, gone in a, in a, in a minute. And if it was HR 1S1, then that would be replaced with a federal overtake. If it was HR 4, which is the other election bill that they've advocated for, it would require that any future state changes have to be pre cleared. Which is a, which is basically a, a, a system that refers to states going through a pre-clearance with the DOJ, the Department of Justice here in Washington to approve their laws. So whichever one they would do, the result is the same that the federal government would be in charge of our elections, it would federalize the elections. But I think the American people see through this. They recognize that states have control over their elections as they should. And they have up to this point locked that federal overreach of our election system. And I'm really grateful for that.
0: Yeah, me too. I, I mean, it, it is just hard to overstate what a massive change it would be to have D.C. suddenly in charge of you know, really all of our elections down to the local level. Mm-hmm. Jessica, one of the issues that gets mixed in with, with all of this that uh, the left has, you know, has been bringing up really for, for generations because they see it as being in their political interest is, is statehood for the District of Columbia, for D.C.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm curious, you know, I'm in Oklahoma, so I don't see this close up, but, but you're, you know, you're out there in the mix in D.C., is, is this an issue that is going anywhere? And if not, or at least if the left isn't going to get their way, is it something that's just sort of doomed to linger out there forever? Mm-hmm. Is, is there some alternative pathway to resolve this? Because I think it does make a lot of Americans uncomfortable, but then, you know, giving statehood to a, uh, you know, to what amounts to a single blue city also seems mm-hmm. pretty crazy. So mm-hmm. what, what, do you, what do you think about all this?
1: Well, D.C. statehood, is and will continue to be about Democrats having more power. This is about having one more uh, safe blue checkmark in the Senate. This is about one more democratic vote. I mean, that's just flat out what it is. And it's been a hot topic because it continues to kind of um, sit on the sidelines depending on if the Senate ever nukes the filibuster. So the filibuster right now, what exists in the Senate is, is essentially the safeguard against some of these more liberal, radical policies. Once the filibuster, if it's ever nuked, if it ever goes away, and they tried really hard to do that this past week, mind you, uh, Trent, they weren't able to do it. The filibuster still exists, but if it were ever to be gone, one of the first things that they would do is, is grant DC statehood. They'd also pass that HR1 bill. They can't pass that until the filibuster is nuked. So it almost becomes a little bit of a shiny object to this discussion about the filibuster. Should it exist, should it not? Does it actually represent the rights of the minority? Does it cool or does it stifle debate? And that back and forth that we've seen play out, frankly, in the last 12 months, certainly in the public square and definitely in the halls of Congress. But you know, I really wanna be clear, DC statehood, I think they will, I think the left will continue to push for it so long as they have to rely on rigging the rules, changing the game uh, to advance their agenda. It would help them right now a lot if they had one more Democrat left-leaning senator. They don't. The American people haven't elected that person. And so they result to let's have, let's call for DC statehood so we can basically rig the game to get one more person up here.
0: So another question on this whole you know, issue of election changes mm-hmm. and the narrative around it, you mentioned early on that the left has constructed this, this narrative that's really detached from reality. Uh, a big part of that is a racial narrative, mm-hmm. that this all somehow is connected to Jim Crow, that it's about vote suppression. Jessica, what what do we do to push back against that? Because I mean that that's a hard, you know, it, it's like a big lie. It's a claim that's that's so visceral. And uh, you know, I mean, I think it catches a lot of people just off guard because that's not how they think about these issues at all. Um, what do folks on the on the right do about that?
1: Well, you, you said it exactly right. It is a big lie. To think that the bills at the state level, which increase access to the ballot box, they clamp down on things like ballot harvesting, they support voter ID, these things are not racist. And so the more the left pushes this very radical racial narrative, the more it divides the country, which by the way is something that Biden explicitly said he wasn't going to do, right? He ran on a ticket of unity. He's failed in every letter of the word to do that. And so I think the best way to to look at this is to go back to the facts. What do these state bills actually do? What did the bill in Georgia do? What did the bill in Texas do in Arizona? Ignore and try to silence all the false narratives that DC Democrats are pushing. And instead, look at the simple facts, voter ID, something that has been supported by over 80% of Americans nationwide, 70% of Black voters, so if you're going to talk about race, 70% of Black voters actually support voter ID, and many were appalled that people would think, what, I can't get an ID, I have to have an ID to go to a basketball game, to buy beer, to pick up my kid from school, to get a vaccine mandate card, to be able to, you know, eat food here in Washington, so, so you know, if, you're, if you've been following this along, you actually see that this narrative falls flat when you look at the facts of the debate and when you look at what really the, these bills do. You know, Stacey Abrams, um, she's a very interesting woman. She's out of Georgia. She's, you know, risen to national fame and attention. She, she can't decide if voter ID, if she's for it, if she's against it. First, she says it's racist. Then she says she was never against voter ID you know the truth is is that the american people support it and that's really at the heart of what so much is uh at stake here when we talk about these state bills so i just encourage people get the facts learn from the learn for it yourself we've got a lot of information of this at save it actually outlines what's in the bills and what the impact would be on people going to vote in these states and i just think you gotta you gotta look at these facts for yourself to get over this narrative because it's false, it's hurtful, and it's, it's incredibly divisive.
0: Yeah. A lot of the same people pushing these election bad ideas that we've talked about would also like to get rid of the Electoral College. And mm-hmm. doing that, of course, uh, people have always assumed would require a constitutional amendment, but today they've come up with the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact as a way to sort of manipulate the Electoral College out of, out of existence. What do you think would be the effect on election integrity if they ever got their way and gave us just one big direct election for president?
1: Well, I, I think election security and election integrity would be completely undermined if there was a national popular vote system. The wisdom that exists in practicality and paper you know, and, and how we run elections of the Electoral College is the things that I think are actually the strengths right now. It gives a voice to every state, including the smaller ones. It's a firewall against voter fraud, especially when you look at how state's electoral votes are counted and illegally running um, versus the total counseling, All of that, it's really, really difficult to cheat. Um, And so if you removed the Electoral College, like the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact would want to do. You'd have to cheat in multiple states to see any impact right and then it would incentivize bad actors at the state level, not something that we would want to do so I think there's already we've got enough problems dealing with fraud as it exists now of illegal immigrants in particular voting. And so you know my vote would be say no. Keep, keep the uh, system as it exists now with the Electoral College and let's work harder to make it easy for all eligible citizens in the United States to vote and hard for cheaters to cheat. That's what we want.
0: Sounds like a good idea to me. I'm talking with Jessica Anderson. She's the Executive Director of Heritage Action. We've got two more questions. The Supreme Court recently heard an argument in a case that could overturn Roe versus Wade. Hmm. If the Supreme Court really does that or something like that, they could narrow it way down. I, I think it's I think it's likely that they that they will overturn it. But uh, uh, you can let us know what you think. But what what's the next step after that? What happens after that? Because, you know, there's a lot of claims out there about, you know, it's going to be politically, you know, terrible for conservatives or, or whatever. You know, I, and uh, I'm curious, Jessica, what you think.
1: So this Dobbs case, which the Supreme Court will will rule on um, sometime around the 4th of July, I think we should expect, um, if they do overturn Roe, the decision of abortion and how it's regulated will fall back down to the states. So that power will be handed over to state lawmakers, state legislators, governors, everyone at the state level. So I think there's gonna be a lot of work that conservatives in particular, pro-life activists especially can be doing Uh, One in the lead up to the Dobbs announcement, but then also, and so you know one of the things i'm getting excited about is actually having a conversation with state lawmakers about their role in protecting life at the state level. What are things that they can do now to get ahead of this case when when they frankly are going to have to weigh in on this. Um, I think you saw a lot of enthusiasm for a post Roe America, with the you know hundreds of thousands of people that were marching here in Washington D.C. just last week for the March for Life, even in the freezing cold, even in a city that is very difficult to get in and out of, people still showed up, and young people showed up too. And so, you know, I think the enthusiasm from my generation, from the generation behind me, to support life is very real. And so when and if, and hopefully when Roe is overturned, I think you're gonna see pro-abortionists at the state level that are gonna to try to um, put pro-abortion laws in front of state lawmakers. And on the flip side, you're gonna see pro-life activists, conservative activists put life uh, protecting and celebrating laws in front of state lawmakers. All the action is heading to the states. We're already preparing for it too. We've got 2 million grassroots activists across the country that are part of Heritage Action. They're gearing up for big fights, rallies, a lot of activity, I think is going to be at, at the state level this summer. And so um, certainly an, an issue to watch and to to get excited about.
0: Yeah, exciting times. And I I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, it seems like the left has used this issue and abused this issue as a way to raise money and rally their yeah. base and it will be interesting when California's in charge of California's abortion policy whether they can still do that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're basically going to have the abortion policy that the left wants at least at least for the time being uh, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see if i feel like the left has created a false narrative in that area as well yeah. that kind of comes undone if if Roe is struck down but we'll see yeah i think i think you're right so, last question for Jessica Anderson of Heritage Action. Uh, we always ask this question at the end: Who is your favorite founding father, and why?
1: Ah, so um, my initial answer is probably one that many people would have, which is George Washington. I mean, the guy was a rock star. He gave yeah. up a you know a very successful and prosperous life at the time to then go. Fight this crazy war in New England, win the war, and then at the height of his power, he steps down after two terms, not making himself king, which I'm sure all of his friends just like laughed at him. Um, He was a Federalist. He understood the role of states. He understood the dangers of centralized power in Washington. I think he'd be appalled uh, at the discussions that we're having today. So I definitely answer with George Washington. Um, I think if you stretch the definition of founding fathers and you maybe have a little bit more uh, Straussian uh, view of it, then Abe Lincoln gets right in there for the work that he did. But it just depends on, on how you define. So George Washington and Abraham Lincoln with a close second.
0: Two answers close to my own heart. Jessica Anderson with uh, Heritage Action. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Thanks for being on Six Questions.
1: Thanks so much for
0: having me.